Hey everybody, welcome in. Jim and Trent, we say hello to you on 1700 The Champ. Terrific show lined up today. Ryan Van Bibber on the National Football League will be our guest coming up in about 15 minutes or so. Trent, how you doing, pal? I can't complain, Jimmy B. Ready for another uh, Tuesday. We got press conferences going on and mm-hmm. two weeks left of the regular season. Absolutely crazy how fast the football season goes. Got the state championship coming up with Dolly Catholic against Cedar Falls on Friday night. And uh, and away we go. Yeah, it's uh, football dwindling very quickly. I don't like the sounds of that. No, I don't either after we waited all summer long for it to begin. And for some reason, it just seems like it has flown by. Um, look, we've got uh, two interesting games coming up for both Iowa and Iowa State. Um, let's start with Iowa State, and they will play at Texas Trent, when this game was made, the Longhorn Network, which is Texas' own TV network, uh, always seems to get one game. And mm-hmm. at the beginning of the year, they gave this game to the Longhorn Network. Of course, not knowing what now is at stake. Uh, where are you on this? I mean, I, I, I watched Twitter, and, and I went to some of the websites, and people are really crying the blues now that they don't get the Longhorn Network. So how are they going to do this? Well, look at it this way, Jim. This would be my rebuttal to that for people upset. Okay. A, it, this isn't it's like public access here, only in Texas. There are ways to get the game. You can go to your local sports bar. They'll have it on right. DirecTV. Dish Network has it, so you can get it that way. There's streaming services available. You can get it. So it's not like it's a game that you can't get, or it's only available on pay-per-view. You can get this game. We're not talking about something completely wrong. And without the Longhorn Network, the Big 12 would be no more. The Big 12, as we know it, wouldn't be there. Without the Longhorn Network, the Texas and Texas A&M and Oklahoma and Oklahoma State, they'd be playing in the Pac-16 right now. That's what you would have for a conference. And Iowa State, you'd still have Kansas and Kansas State and TCU and West Virginia. And you'd also have, I don't know, BYU, Central Florida. You would not be a major conference anymore. So for this single game, I understand being upset. But big picture, realize, without the Longhorn Network, you're not in a power right. conference anymore. Be happy that there is a Longhorn Network. Be happy that it's on the game. Be happy this is actually the way this played out. Because if it didn't play out this way, you'd really be singing the blues. Oh, yet yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I can remember back when we were talking about the demise of the Big 12 and now how the Big 12 has come so far in just maybe five or six short years. All right, so no David Montgomery for the first half. Iowa State said that, uh, you know, we're not going to appeal. Well, there's nothing to appeal. It's pretty obvious what happened. So from that aspect, you got to feel yet what they're going to do in that first half uh, about, you know, are they going to alternate running backs are they going to just go with one guy where, where are you on this right now at least that first half for the uh, cyclones well i'm sure you're going to see a lot of different guys you'll see crony you'll see lang you'll see maybe nwangu at times you know they'll, they'll yep. throw a different different looks out there but passing games got to get going and, and you go back to a year ago and the loss to texas the offense was inept they can't afford a game like that now, the quarterback plays a lot different from Jacob Park, and the last time we saw Jacob Park in a Cyclone uniform to what we see out there today, obviously, and what Brock Purdy has turned into, you're going to rely on the passing game a whole lot more. I, I don't think it is a huge impact by any means. 
Montgomery, such a physical runner. His ability mm-hmm. to to get the extra yards. And when nothing's there, he can get two. And when two's there, he gets five. And just his physicality that he brings, it's a dimension, no doubt. I don't believe this is going to be something, though, that costs Iowa State the game. It's not going to be a factor as it pertains to that. Keep it close. Make this a four-quarter game, and I certainly think that's going to happen here. But I don't look that look at this like an impact that's going to cost ISU a victory. Do you look at it that way? No, I don't, because Montgomery does not play on defense. And if they struggle to move the ball offensively in the first half from time to time, okay, I understand that. But it's the defense that will have to really keep this team afloat and in the game. And Trent, they're good enough to do that. We have seen them really jack up that defensive effort uh, come time for difficult games. And look, we saw West Virginia walk into Austin, Texas and win against the Longhorns in their home stadium. So this can be done, even with Montgomery not available uh, until halftime. Look at Sam Ellinger. Have you, have you seen the numbers that he has put up this season? I don't, I don't think people have realized just what kind of year he is putting together. His statistics this season, 2,483 yards passing, 20 touchdowns, just two yeah. interceptions. He has been incredibly good. You look at what he has done as of late over the last three games. 22 of 42 against Oklahoma State, threw for three, uh, 283, two touchdowns, no picks. Three touchdowns against West Virginia, threw for 354, completing 70% of his passes. Last week against Texas Tech, 312, four touchdowns, no interceptions. He hasn't thrown an interception since the first game of the year against Maryland. Think of that, Jim. Wow. Hasn't thrown wow. an interception since the first of the year. He's adding a little bit on the ground. He's running the football, too. This is a really good quarterback. And maybe it, Brewer gave him some problems. And after Brewer was ejected, Baylor maybe had a comeback in him. They, they were playing good football before that ejection in the, in the third quarter. I maybe could come back and make that a four-quarter game. But, Jim, I, I look at it. Ellinger, is this going to be – they shut down what they saw from Will Greer. This is a different dimension. Ellinger can get outside the pocket, make some plays out there. This is different than going up against Will Greer, and it's on the road as opposed to at home. I agree with you. This is going to be one heck of a fight on the football field between these two teams. Uh, Quickly to basketball, and then we'll move to Iowa, Trent. Mm -hmm. Uh, Look, it was a game last night for the Cyclones that uh, they took uh, control of. And they've got so many guys out right now. Uh, we talk so much uh, at the beginning of the year about how much depth they had. It's a good thing that they have that depth right now with so many guys on the bench. You know, and, and they're going eight deep now with all the suspensions and the injuries that they had. Obviously, uh, we're not going to see, and it looks like until best case scenario, I, I think was the wording of it, uh, we're not going to see Lindell Wigington until next month, and we'll see how long that, that foot injury lasts here. And Terrence Lewis, you, you know I'm a Terrence Lewis guy. I've been a believer in him. Watching him last night, though, struggled again, and he was jacking up a couple. So for all intents and purposes, this really this is a team that's five deep. They play other guys. They play Zion Griffin, a freshman. He gives them some minutes. He does mm-hmm. some things out there. Conant is another big body. Tall body. Not big body, because that guy is skinny. No, tall. Yeah. No, tall body, yeah. <laughs> not, not thick by any means, but a tall body. And he gives him minutes to give Jacobson a break. But overall, you just look at the way this team has to play. And it's Jacobson and Shyock, Weiler Babb, T- Horton Tucker, who was really good last night, shot the ball incredibly well in the first half. Yep. And Halliburton. 
and really that's it. I mean, it, it's crazy how we go from the conversations of fall camp and into October to where we are today, and it's a completely different basketball team than we anticipated. I'm with you. Uh, look, they they just got to be thankful that they have those extra pieces. They really do because if this was a team that only had, you know, five or six players that could really play, and they've encountered the situation that they have right now, they might have lost last night if if that was if that was the case. Look, they got. A solid performance again out of Jacobson. 29 minutes, he scores 16 points, has 8 rebounds. Shyock and uh, Horton Tucker both went off, both with 26 points uh, to take care of the scoring. Trent, when I looked at the at the stat line, on the bench, the guys that you just referenced, Griffin, Condon, Lewis, you know how many points the bench scored? Not many. One. 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 That was it. It was Griffin. Griffin scored a free throw. One point off the bench. I mean, look, this this can't happen once they really start to get going and start to play some good teams, which they will uh, when they make that uh, little trip across the pond to beautiful Hawaii. Yeah, and it'll be Arizona up in game number one. It'll be a new-look Arizona team. You know, looking at the Wildcats at this point, you have to be concerned about Chase Jeter, inside-outside guy, uh, how they're going to guard him. It'll be Jacobson, I'm sure, that will kind of get an initial tuck, uh, a run at him. But they're going to have to do some different things in this matchup. At Arizona, they're not a national title contender like they've been the last couple of se- no, seasons, but right. still a very talented team. And it's the importance of this. You know, in its own, if you go out there and, and can find a way to win a game or two, you're feeling good. Of course, a victory here, you're more than likely going to see Gonzaga in the semifinals and then whoever comes out of the other side of the bracket. But you lose to Arizona, then you're kind of oh, coming back the other way. You know, And then it's about getting a victory. Iowa State can't afford to go 0-3. I mean, that that's just the, the simplest equation here. With what they have going up, you know the Big Twelve. They've took you taken a couple of bad losses. This Texas Southern team, as we talked about yesterday, they beat Baylor. West Virginia uh-huh. already has a loss. It was to Buffalo. Now Buffalo's good. We saw them. In fact, last year beat they Arizona. Are, you know, yes, yeah, so, they are good. And they return. I think their top three scores from a year ago. Still, West Virginia losing that game. What not what you'd anticipate early on here. If it is a season where the Big 12's taking these losses to the non-conference and instead of six, seven teams getting in, that number's down to four or five, you can't be a team that, that's sitting there with already three losses on your non-conference resume, plus what Iowa State still has remaining in the non-conference, you know, going forward still with the game against Iowa, of course the SEC Challenge game that they have later on against Mississippi on the road. Mm-hmm. You, you just you can't afford to put yourself in an 0-3 hole when you go out to Maui. I'm with you on that 100%. they got to get something out of that trip. All right, let's go then to Iowa. Um, let's start football first. Look, the the line, the, I saw you tweeted out, it's a monster line against Illinois. Mm-hmm. Uh, are, are, you, are you comfortable with that right now, with what you have seen out of this Iowa team in recent weeks? Well, of course not. When, when you play as poorly as Iowa has over the last couple of weeks, it's hard to have much confidence, but you look at the Illinois perspective. Illinois is getting better. They, they can move the football offensively. They're averaging over 200 yards rushing per game. They can move the football over there, but they're one-dimensional. And, and much like Maryland, who came in 
to Kinnick Stadium. It was a one-dimensional team. That's right. normally when I was at their best. If Illinois can throw the football, make a couple of plays, have wide receivers that catch it, sure, absolutely. I, I think you're going to see something there where maybe this is a game that, that is tight in the second half of it. But if they're one-dimensional, even with Iowa, with all the warts that we've seen here as of late, this should be a game that they win comfortably. Here's the thing, though. To beat this team, you're going to have to score. Iowa can't expect to win this game 17-13. They're going to have to put points on the board. In order to do that, you're going to have to see more out of Nate Stanley. It can't just be checkdowns, and it can't be zero-yard routes. They have to make plays up the field. To do that, you got to get Noah Fant involved. Will they do it? Well, after what we saw last week, I think that still remains a big, big question mark, Jimmy B. Still scratching my head what happened. Yeah. Noah Fant, nine snaps in the second half. It doesn't make a lick of sense. No, it doesn't, and, and I don't know what has happened there, but I certainly don't like it. And uh, you can't be petty about things like that when you're trying to win football games. And if you're in a snit with the family, okay, be in a snit with the family uh, after the game is over. But you you got to play a kid who is uh, going to be uh, a maybe the top tight end to come out. And from that aspect... Uh, you, you have you got to use the players that you have on the field, Trent. I'm with you. I, I could not believe that he was not on the – even the announcers were questioning. Where's Noah Fant? Where's Noah Fant? How come he's not on the field here? It, it was absolutely incredible. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. We'll get into what's coming up tonight a little bit later on, but we're going to talk some NFL. The Bears in first place. Kansas City with another victory. Vikings-Bears this week, Sunday Night Football. Rams-Chiefs on Monday night. What a uh, couple of primetime games we got set up this week. Really looking forward to that. We'll get into it next. Ryan Van Bibber is going to join us. We'll talk with him about everything going on in the National Football League. As we continue, it's Jimmy B and TC hey, on 1700 The Chance. We're going to switch our attention to the National Football League. That means our guy, Ryan Van Bibber, is joining us right now on 1700 The Champ. Hey, Ryan, good afternoon to you. And let us begin... And I tweeted this out last night after I watched the Giants and the 49ers. And I said, sometimes you get two bad record teams together and it turns out to be a decent football game. It turned out to be a decent football game last night. Yeah, not bad, really. I mean, I, I guess when you're evenly matched, it's sort of a, <laughs> you know, not every game's going to be the uh, Super Bowl 52. So, uh, I, you know. I guess if you are where you're at, with if you're the Giants and 49ers, you can get a good game. So maybe there's hope for that uh, that Cardinals-Raiders game this week. It's a great Sunday night, Monday night football game. We'll get into that a little bit later on. Speaking of Sunday night football, the Bears will be in action. Mitchell Trubisky uh, plays well again. It's been inconsistent at times, but possibly trending in a, posi- a positive direction. Give me your thoughts on Mitchell Trubisky and this Bears offense. Getting Allen Robinson back, you saw just how good that he was again in the game against the Lions over the weekend. We know the defense, and with the healthy Khalil Mack, just how good this team can be on that side of the football. Your thoughts on what the Bears are doing offensively and the play at Trubisky? You know, I think you've got to be pretty, you know, if you're a Bears fan, pretty stoked about what you've seen from Trubisky. Obviously, he's got... You know, plenty of room to grow, but you know, not everybody's going to come out and be Pat Mahomes right away yeah. in their second year. So it's a, you know, it's it's a positive thing. I mean, I don't think anyone expected the Bears to be, you know, in serious contention for a division title this year when we started the season, and and they're there because 
of Trubisky and some other, obviously, the Khalil Mack trade and some other smart moves that they made during the offseason, and they're a competitive team. And, and the good news is is that, you know, you've got a rookie quarter, a rookie contract quarterback like that, and, and uh, that gives you uh, the ability to build the foundation for uh, the future. I mean, and you look at where the Packers and the Vikings are, you know, maybe not the Vikings as much, but, uh, you know, it's a good, the Bears are in a really good spot for this season and beyond. Uh, Ryan, let me just kind of follow up on that because it appeared in the first couple of games that they were still on offense anyway, still kind of hesitant to let Trubisky do what Trubisky is now doing. What changed? Because they were struggling to score 20 in the first few games, and now they're putting up points on the offense like it's going out of style. What changed in your mind? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you've just got some comfort there and they figured out the the way that you know what you saw at the beginning of the season was they came out did really well with those scripted plays at the beginning of the game and then you know when the script kind of when the the script ended they didn't quite know where to go and you know i mean look at the schedule a little bit too obviously they had a tough loss to the dolphins and then they played the patriots which you know obviously a, a team a little bit further along from where they at they had a good game against the patriots but then, you know, they've had the Jets, the Bills, and the Lions last week, and that's a good way to sort of, um, you know, those are three good teams to kind of uh, to, to, to dial yourself in a little bit and get, get, some, get some routine in the playbook and get comfortable, find out what you're comfortable doing and what you know how to do best and what works for you, and that'll serve them well going forward. Talk with Ryan Van Bibber from SB Nation as we take a look around what's happening in the NFL. Ryan, Last night, we uh, at least had an entertaining game. It wasn't two teams certainly going anywhere this season, but the Giants, with the win, comeback victory against the 49ers. The future of Eli Manning played well at times in this game. If you're the Giants, I I know they obviously want to draft a quarterback and bring in somebody that's going to be the heir apparent for him. Is Eli making this a little bit more difficult, uh, at least what you saw last night? Well, I mean, they need him to be a bridge guy at this point anyway. It's not the most glamorous role for a quarterback that's won a couple Super Bowls. But, you know, they still got to think what's ahead for the future, uh, you know, with Eli. And it's not Eli Manning. I mean, he's, he's, an, important, um, he's an important guy to have. And, and it's, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it, it's not a guy you just want to close the book on entirely just because of, you know, like I say, he's got two Super Bowl wins. But... You know, this isn't a long-term future. They just don't have, you know, we've got a situation where they don't know what quarterbacks are going to be available in the draft. There might not be any good ones. I mean, this isn't a great year for quarterbacks if, you know, the kid out of Oregon especially doesn't come out. So uh, they might be stuck with Eli for another season. they got to make the best of it. Uh, why is it that there are teams in the National Football League with just poor offensive lines? I would have thought that that would have been something that teams understanding how important keeping your quarterback upright would really, really dive into. But there are lots of teams with bad offensive lines, and that makes them for bad football. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, a quarterback doesn't have time to throw the ball. You can't. <laughs> I mean, the NFL this season, especially more than ever, is a testament to how central the passing game is to you know being a good football team and if you can't throw the ball you can't compete i mean there's just no there's no way to hide that i mean you can hide a lot of stuff but you can't hide it when you have that and too you know in the running you don't have a running game going i mean i think that's you know to 
you look at the Dallas Cowboys, and obviously they won this week, and, and I think they were able to overcome a little bit of that. But, you know, they've had injuries to that offensive line, and that's really kind of put them under the gun because they, don't, they can't get that play-action game going. Now, you saw that this weekend. They finally kind of got back to that and figured out a way. But, you know, when you lose three studs on your offensive line like they have at times this season, it's just going to be, it's going to cost you offensively. Ryan, uh, as you go through the league here, how many teams can win the Super Bowl? Not get there. How many teams can win the whole thing? Is that number just three or four? Is that number more seven and eight? As you look at it here as we sit uh, on November 13th, how many teams can win it all? Uh, you know, just off the top of my head, I mean, I, the, definitely there's three one-loss teams. I think those are all legitimate candidates for it, the Chiefs, the Rams, and the Saints. I think any, any, any of those three teams could, 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 it would surprise nobody if they won the Super Bowl. Patriots are obviously in there. I know that they lost an ugly one to the Titans last week, but you, know, you look at the injury, obviously they didn't have Gronk again. They had Sony Michelle, who was sort of about 75% of what he usually is, and just not a great, obviously they've had offensive line issues as well. You see Tom Brady, you know, right now I think he's the worst-rated quarterback in the NFL when facing the blitz, and a lot of that has to do with a shaky offensive line performance lately. But, you know, they're the Patriots, and like it or not, they usually kind of get it back together when it matters, and they're... They've got an easy division to that they can kind of cruise control in. I, I'm sort of on the fence as to whether or not I'm ready to put the Steelers in there. They've had some pretty convincing wins over the last couple of weeks. That you know they really schooled the Panthers last week, and I think that was a very to use the college football term a quality win. So I would maybe put them in the mix, though I just don't trust them when it comes to a you know crunch time in January. But uh, you know they certainly have the look to them. Really? You don't? You're, you're not on that Steelers bandwagon? You don't see it coming here? <laughs> I know, what, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, look what, look what they've done their last couple of games. I know. I just, it's just, there's some about Mike Tomlin in January games. They don't show up. I mean, you know, you go back to last season, it's like they're, you know, <laughs> they were, they went into that Jaguars game and kind of blew it off and thought, you know, they were getting ready for the Patriots and then they had to play the Jaguars. But, you know, somewhere along the way, they kind of forgot that. I'm just like, how do you let that happen? I mean, I think that's a, you know, again, I, they have the roster to do it. There's no question in my mind about that. What I wonder is if if they can kind of get over the hump that, that you know, you, you don't worry about Bill Belichick losing a game because he's not prepared for it. Yeah, that, that, that's a good point there, certainly. And, and you do wonder about that as high as it can go, how quickly it can dissipate. Speaking of that group, who, who concerns you the most, the team's, that we feel are locks. Who's the team that you look at right now that you say, I think there might be some them cracks in this armor. There might be a team that takes a step back here over the final part of the season. Well, you know, all, it's interesting. It's an interesting case with those three one-win teams because I think you look at all of them. And, like, New Orleans defense right now is playing the best out of the bunch. And the Chiefs have, you know, their defensive struggles early in the season have improved you know, where they are right now. And I think that, you know, if you're a Chiefs fan, you feel good about that. But, you know, and I know the, the NFL has certainly changed and where it's really an offense-first league right now, but you still need a defense in January. I mean, you don't necessarily have to have the 85 Bears or anything, but, you know, you've got to be able to win some, you know, slugfests in, in cold weather and in playoff games like that where things tighten up quite a bit more than they are in, you know, week 8, 9, and 10. So, 
I, I just wonder. I look at the Rams. I think maybe they get to lead back, and I think they'll be in a much better situation. But mm-hmm. and that Rams defense is not, with the exception of Aaron Donald, just is not as good as it seems. And I, that's a big concern when you go into January. Same with the Chiefs. You know, I, like I say, I think the Saints out of those three are probably playing the best out of any of them. But you know, there's a you wonder about that a little bit. I, I kind of wonder too if maybe the Patriots aren't exposed. Even I know. Mm. You know they yeah. they have a resiliency to them to overcome those injuries and play around them, but that secondary performance last week would really leave me pretty concerned. I mean, you can point to the offensive injuries as being a problem for them, but and maybe that you know sort of tips the balance against them when when they can't score points like that. But you know <laughs> that's a secondary that gave up big plays to the Tennessee Titans, the Tennessee Titans, not the Steelers, not the Chiefs, not the Rams, not the Saints. So. You know, that's a little bit of a concern for me down the stretch. Yeah, but isn't Tennessee, aren't they one of the teams that before the season began were considered to be a team that could, A, win that division and be trouble in the playoffs? Didn't you have them listed as as a team that could probably make that uh, that move this season? Yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, a lot of that relies with what they can do on defense. I mean, that's a better defense than you realize there. So, there's that. I mean, they haven't been, you know, moving the ball all that productively, and they're kind of up and down this season. I think more so than you want to see for a team, you know, that you want you you want to label them a serious contender in the postseason. But that's kind of turned into a weird division now. I mean, like the Colts are really good, and the Texans got their stuff together, haven't they? You know, the last you know five or six weeks here. So it's uh, that's a pretty tight division, and and like this sounds crazy to say considering where we were early in the season, but. You know, the Texans are another team to watch. I think they're in sort of that, you know, second tier of contending teams right now. And, I mean, they certainly have the talent if everybody's healthy. Ryan, uh, Mexico City for Monday Night Football. Everything's still set, it looks like, at least at this point, at Azteca. But the playing conditions, uh, a big concern there. What are you hearing? And a possibility, if they do move this game, where would it be? Well, if they can't play on the field, we're going to know today. Okay. So, um, you know, and if that's the case, then they'll be back in Los Angeles for the game on Monday night because the state, the the Coliseum is available and ready to use. (laughs) The Coliseum feels that all that great sometimes, but uh, (laughs) it isn't. If you've seen, I don't know if you've seen the pictures of of Azteca Stadium in Mexico City on the internet today, but it (laughs) looks a little rough. And it's yeah, uh, they replaced the field turf. earlier this year so that supposedly would you know be a little bit more durable to handle soccer games concerts and and football games but uh that certainly hasn't been the case and like i say if you go and look at those pictures it's pretty alarming (laughs) looks like my yard does right now (laughs) (laughs) didn't they have a similar issue was it miami that they were concerned about the field. They had a college football game on Saturday, and they were going to play down there, and it rained, and there were like just big chunks of uh, sod coming up everywhere, but they still played Yeah, we game. see this. You know, it's funny that the NFL is so concerned about the conditions in Azteca Stadium right now because we've seen this, you know, fairly consistently crop up, and the NFL has had no problem kind of continuing. I remember... A couple of years ago, it was a it was a Chiefs Texans playoff game, and the the field looked like carpet coming up. I mean, literally looked like a carpet being peeled off the floor. I mean, it was coming up off the concrete at the stadium. There, you go back, you know, the that field in Washington where the Redskins play is perpetually a disaster. 
just you know, it's not even just that RG three game where he hurt his 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 knee in the playoff game against the Seahawks in 2012. I mean, that's been that field is like that week after week after week, and there's not even a college team that plays there. So it's just a you know, this is not a new problem for the NFL. All right, well, we talk about Monday Night Football. Let's talk about Sunday Night Football. Vikings at the Bears. What do you expect to see in this one? Uh, Of course, uh, coming off a bye week for the Vikings, the Bears off the win against Detroit. What are your expectations in Soldier Field Sunday night? Um, Well, that'll be a good game. I know that. Um, (laughs) I I guess I'd probably lean a little bit more toward the Vikings. I think that just you have the experience on defense there that might translate. I mean, you've got Danielle Hunter, who's kind of, you know, turned into an all-world pass rusher this season. He's always been good, no, you know, without question. But, you know, he's really sort of, you know, playing his way into that defensive player of the year conversation. And, you know, Minnesota's a team that has several guys like that. But then again, you know, <laughs> here we are in a league where the first team that can score 40 points is usually the one that wins. So I think either one of these teams are capable of doing that right now. So we'll see what happens. It's probably more of a toss-up than anything. Do you like the way that the new rules have uh, put more emphasis on offense? Are you an offense guy? Or are you old school? I want to see a thirteen to six game. <laughs> I, you know, for somebody that, that fell in love with the game for the Deacon Jones era of of Rams football, I mean, I, you know, and, and Eric Dickerson running the ball like that. I mean, this is sort of the. I like it. I mean, I, I think this is the way the game has to evolve. It's more engaging to a bigger audience, and that's important for sustaining it. I mean, especially now, there's you know there's more competition, not just in the sports field, uh, you know, for other sports, but everything. I mean, you look at the you know the way entertainment is distributed online now, and you know you have a gazillion options at your fingertips, and you know football isn't the only thing on TV anymore. So. I think the game has to kind of go that way, and I think that's kind of fun. I mean, you know, I like thinking about plays, and I like watching where, you know, the tight ends line up before the snap, and I think that, and I know that's kind of nerdy stuff, but it's, uh, you know, I, I think ultimately that's more interesting in the game, and I think, that's too, that's a much more sustainable way, you know, when we're talking about concussions and player health over the long term, too. Last thing for me, I'll let Jimmy B finish up with you here, Ryan, as we're talking with Ryan Van Bibber. From SB Nation, a look around the National Football League. It's a sad day. Uh, we, we all lose one of our favorites today, obviously, with the mm-hmm. decision by the Buffalo Bills to cut ties with Nathan Peterman. <laughs> will, will you be uh, bouncing your grandkids on your knees someday talking about the time you got to watch Nathan Peterman be the worst quarterback in the NFL? <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it was what we're... We're uh, 51 weeks to the day from his uh, five-interception debut last season when they mysteriously decided to start him instead of Tyrod Taylor, you know, when almost cost him a playoff game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's strange things. But uh, I was joking with somebody this morning that I'm surprised if, if certain coaches were still in the league, I'm, this guy would be picked up already. So Right, yeah. There's, there's some love out there. You know who does love him? I, I saw John Gruden when he was working for ESPN. He yeah, loved him yeah. coming out of the draft. It might not be over yet for the Peter man. No, it's, it's he's either going to wind up in Oakland or Denver. Watch. Oh, boy. <laughs> Scary proposition. <laughs> I had him penciled for the Arena Football League. <laughs> Probably a better spot. Probably a better spot. Hey, we're out of time for today, Ryan. As always, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. That is our man, Ryan Van Bimber, talking NFL. Jimmy B, speaking of... 
the infamous Nathan Peterman. Yes. I got a number here for you, and uh, you're going to have to help me out. Among NFL quarterbacks since the merger, since 1970, with as many pass attempts, Peterman's interception rate of 9.23% is the third highest all-time behind only these quarterbacks. Can you tell me about either of these two guys? One, Kim McQuilkin. Yes. You know Kim McQuilkin? Uh, Yes, I know that name. Yes. Who would he play for? Yes. Well, I can't recall it right off the top of my head, but I would say several teams. And yes, he was a uh, turnover uh, machine as well. But yes, I do recall the name. Who else? What's who's the other one? McQuilkin. I'm looking him up quickly. Uh, Seven-year career, his court passer rating seventeen point nine. Seventeen point nine. Oh yeah. Out of Lehigh, played for Atlanta and the Redskins. All right. So there's there Kim you go. McQuilkin. Yep. Oh boy, that that was bad. Let's go next to Don Horn. Don Horn. Now that one I don't recall. You I'm got- trying to re. No, I, uh-uh. I remember Joe Horn, the receiver well, sure. out of uh, yeah. at, at the Saints. Don Horn. Don How Horn. Long ago was Don Horn. Well, Don Horn was a first-round draft pick out of San Diego State. He went to the Packers, where he began his wow. career. Played for the Broncos, the Browns, and the Chargers before finishing up in the WFL with the Portland Thunder. <laughs> oh man! Oh wow! The WFL. The WFL. The World Football League? I guess so. Oh, my God, Trent. My God, Trent. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable. That's nuts. Now, now that you say his name and where he played, mm-hmm. it does sort of ring a bell. Does it say what his passer rating was there by chance? It, it can't be worse than the 17 that we saw for McQuilkin, can it? No, no. His uh, career numbers, at least, touchdown interception ratio, 20 TDs. 36 picks uh, throughout his <laughs> completed uh, just 50.1% of his passes through that illustrious career. Filed for bankruptcy as a 25-year-old and then uh, went into real estate. They all go into real estate, don't they? Well, yeah. Yeah, now he's probably a gazillionaire someplace, <laughs> like in California. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man. Oh. Unbelievable. And Nathan That's, Peterman I mean, is in yeah. that group with Kim McQuilkin and Don Horn. Yep. We'll see if he gets another shot. With that, we need to take a break. When we come back, we will get ready for the night in sports. Drake in action tonight. Interesting game. We'll get into that and a whole lot more as we continue. Jimmy B and TC on 1700 The Champ. Back with you one final time. It's Jimmy B and TC on 1700 The Champ. All right, Mr. Brinson. No football tonight, at least NFL football. Let's see. Do we still got action tonight? I, to be honest, I haven't there even. There is yes, Western Western Michigan Ball State. All right. Is, does that trip your trigger? <laughs> Doesn't do much for you, does it? In Maxion no, tonight? No, not a yeah. whole lot. These two teams played last year. Western Michigan won fifty-five to three. Now that was well, in the Kalamazoo. Could be a similar situation. Yeah, I know, that, but it could be a similar situation. Well, Ball well, State's well, only won three games. You don't just walk into Schumann Stadium in Muncie, Indiana. <laughs> All right, maybe you do. Maybe, maybe you do. Yeah, maybe you do. So, hey, David Letterman went to Ball State. That he did. Bonzi Wells, right? Yes, Bonzi Wells. Yes, and yes. They had some good basketball teams. A couple of different times. They made did. a run to the Sweet yeah, Sixteen in the nineties. That was before Bonzi's time. And uh, did they beat like? Illinois or Notre Dame to get there? Am I am I imagining that? 
No, you are not imagining that. That did indeed take place. All right. See, I, I got something here. Yeah, you do. Yeah. Yeah, great. Good memory, kid. Very good memory. All right. Yeah. 1990. Here it is. It was okay. the year after Majerus left, and right. uh, they went Majerus on. Majerus went to Utah. Yes, and, and they went on, got to the Sweet 16, lost to UNLV, played well against the Rebels. 69-67, lost by two. That was the UNLV wow. team that went on to win the national championship. Impressive. They were a 12 seed. Uh, in fact, they played out of the Huntman Se- Huntsman Center in Salt Lake. And you think the NCAA didn't have something to do with that? Come on. They uh, <laughs> they upset Oregon State, the five seed in the first round with Gary Payton. Yeah. And yeah. then beat Louisville. So it wasn't, they didn't beat Notre Dame or Illinois. Must be imagining that. But beat Louisville in the round of 32 to get to the Sweet 16 and uh, took Almost took down top-seeded UNLV. Ball State, how about that? There's only one place you can go for Ball State information in Des Moines, <laughs> and that is Jimmy B and TC. We got you covered there. All right, all right, Jim. Yeah, Let's get yeah. into tonight. Speaking of college basketball tonight, though, yeah, interested to, uh, to catch Drake, Colorado. I- I'd be real excited about it, except guess where this game will be televised this evening? Uh, not in Des Moines. Hmm. Um... Not on the Longhorn Network, is it? No, no. I wish it was on the Longhorn Network because I'd be able to actually watch it. It'll be on the Pac-12 Network. Can't get that with DirecTV. No, you cannot. Oh, that's just terrible. So I'll be watching an illegal stream. I'll I'll get out the laptop and find one of those illegal streams. My computer will probably blow up by a halfway point of the (laughs) the ball game. But (laughs) want to see this uh, Drake team. uh, They they beat Buena Vista in the first game. They throttled them, of course. All right, it's BV. They're taking on D3 school, as you'd anticipate. Nick Norton played very well. Ellingson hit some shots. Bench played really well, but... Again, it's it's the Beavers from Buena Vista. It's hard to get overly excited here. Colorado on the other side. How about this, Jimmy B? They haven't played a game yet. How odd is that? As we're a week into the season, Buffs still haven't played a game. That's amazing. I would have thought they at least would have played some sort of exhibition game. So right. they're opening up their season at home uh, against Drake. Wow. And you'll remember McKinley Wright from a year ago, really good kid from Minneapolis that uh, yes. played incredibly well in that game up in Sioux Falls against Iowa. He's a really, really fun player to watch. So I'll keep an eye on that one tonight. What else college hoops this evening gets you going, Brinson? Oh, there's a dandy as far as I'm concerned. I'm going to, uh, because I don't get the Pac-12 network either Ugh. with DirecTV, but I do get FS1. And that means Wisconsin Xavier. Yeah, and yeah. I want. Yeah, I got in, I got interested in in that game. I want to see Ethan Happ. I want to see uh, what the Badgers are going to uh, you know bring to the table this year. And so, in from a Big Ten following, um, that's that's my interest tonight. Is, is Wisconsin Xavier? Yeah, absolutely. You know, this Wisconsin team, they took the step back a, a year ago, and oh boy, may, maybe the the end is near for. Wisconsin and what they've done. Remember all the injuries that they had a year ago. And and Davison's yes. back healthy. Trice is healthy this year. Kobe King, Prinzel, to go along with Happ and Iverson. This is a pretty talented basketball team. I, I think at the very least, Wisconsin will be back as an NCAA tournament team. Are they going to be contending, get back as they seemingly were each and every year to the top three or four in the Big Ten? I don't think quite that, but Fifth, six, sure, they're, they're going to be there. I think a tournament team and a good measuring stick here against a great Xavier program. Obviously, mm-hmm. new head coach there, Chris Mack now at Louisville. 
But it, it's a machine of Xavier throughout the years. It just year after year after year, they lose coaches, coaches move on, and they still win fo- basketball games. I'm with you on that. I just I just found another game that I'm going to uh, pencil in for later. Uh, it'll be the evening game. It's also FS1. It's Georgetown at Illinois. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't know if I, I have interest because I covered Patrick Ewing when he was playing uh, at Georgetown and in the NBA, and now that he has taken over that school. But they signed a kid. I, I, he's out of Indiana. Or Illinois, one of the two. I, I can't remember. His name is Mac McClune. Okay. And he he is a freshman. And this kid has serious hops. And uh, he he's like, you know, a big-time scorer. He plays guard. He's a big-time scorer. I, I'm, I just have, you know, I'm curious. It's, it's more of curiosity than anything else to see uh, how Patrick Ewing is. Because the people said, oh, no, he could never be a coach in college. Well, they hired him, and he had, you know, okay success in his opening year, and now he's recruited reasonably well, and we all know that in college basketball, one or two top recruits can turn your team around after one season uh, in a heartbeat. So I'm I'm going to kind of pencil that one in for later tonight, Georgetown at Illinois. Yeah, see what the line I got in year number two of Brad Underwood and – yeah. A couple of good big guys for Georgetown, as you'd anticipate with Patrick Ewing. Govan's been a good player now for the last couple of years. And they have a youngster with the last name Morning, Trey Morning, Alonzo's son, uh, yes. uh, playing yes. on that team. Plus, there's also a guy on the roster he doesn't play with the last name Murison, George Murison's son. He doesn't play, though. And he's only 6'9". He's at 7'4", <laughs> like the old man. God, the old man. Jeez. The old man was fun. He was fun to watch play. Uh, I, I, look, I really, Georgie Mirasan, oh my God, does that bring back memories. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Well, and, Jim. And, and, oh, and oh. Coming, up in a, in a, yeah, coming up in a couple of days, we get to see Manute Bowl's son, Bowl Bowl. Yes, as Oregon will, and Iowa. We will see that one at Madison Square Garden, about 8.30 tip-off on Thursday night. And we'll, of course, get into that more as the week goes on. Jim, we're out of here. What are you going to do with the rest of your day? Just hit up the bar, hit up the gym. What, what's a Tuesday afternoon for you? Uh, I'm going to get a little workout in here. You know, I have to try to keep my girlish figure. And then after that, I'll uh, after that uh, hour workout, I'll uh, just destroy it by heading to the refreshment stand. No so I, it kind of feels like a chicken wing night to me. Chicken wing kind of night. A good one with some good college yeah. hoops and Jimmy B. Yep. And I will be back with you tomorrow. Start at 1 o'clock each and every day. Coming up today on The Dry, myself and Wolfgang will be out at G-Migs, our Tuesday home. Stop on by. It's a steak night. Great steak special. Unbelievably good food at G-Migs. And, of course, the Hawkeye Huddle from 5 until 6 o'clock. That's coming up from 4 to 6 on 1700 The Champ. Next, it's Tiki and Tierney giving you the national perspective. Back at it tomorrow. Thanks, everybody out there for listening.